Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome once again. I would ask you also to take an opportunity to join me in welcoming our television and webcast viewers uh, as well. Again, my name is Danny Asaf, and I'm the president of the Canadian Club of Toronto for this 2015-2016 season. And again, a pleasure to be your host here this afternoon. Thank you again for taking uh, the time from your busy schedules to join us uh, today at our event. And hopefully we're going to all benefit from a great panel discussion, which will commence shortly. For over 119 years, the Canadian Club has been proud to provide our members and guests with this closely guarded, non-partisan platform for the free and open exchange of ideas on the issues that impact our daily lives. Through our programs and events, including our youth and young leaders programs, our diversity partnerships, our joint events, and our media and social media opportunities, we're proud to always offer you dynamic political, business, and social figures from both at home and abroad. And before I formally introduce today's panel members, I would ask you for a small indulgence to tell you briefly about a couple of our exciting upcoming events. On Monday, April 25th, Louis O'Day, President and Chief Executive Officer of, of Kojiko Inc., will be here to speak about balancing risk and growth in an interconnected world. And also on May 27th, Brian Ferguson, President and Chief Executive Officer of Synovus Energy, will share his thoughts on the oil sands industry and its role in addressing climate change issues. Uh, to order tickets or learn more about our programs, please feel free to visit us at canadianclub.org. And you can also join the conversation via Twitter at CDNCLBTO. I would like to welcome some special guests uh, with us here today. And they include, they include uh, Girls Crack the Code from the Nelson Mandela Park Public School and Mars Discovery District's Young Entrepreneurs. Thank you very much for joining us. Are they here? Can you stand? Just, we just want to see you. They're too shy. The future, the future. So glad to welcome you and have you here, that future generation, to benefit from the discussion today. And I would also like to take a moment to also thank Blair Franklin, Capital Partners, Inc., Carrie Kirkman for Girls 20, and Scotiabank for sponsoring our youth and young leaders groups today. Now, a brief introduction of our panel and our discussion. We have a very distinguished and experienced panel, and we're proud to host here today a discussion on innovation and how to succeed in innovation in this new economy. Now, of course, for Canada, as I alluded to earlier, it's a critical question. It's a question that relates to how we're going to create wealth, how we're going to create jobs, and also learn today how our culture is going to evolve to be more entrepreneurial. It's clear that the future Wealth creation is not going to be something that's going to base, be based merely on resources or traditional economy. It's going to be something that will have to reflect the true needs and demands of current consumers and technologies and something that we're going to have to innovate our way towards. Secondly, the days of a big multinational company coming to Canada and opening a huge plant and offering people jobs in the hundreds or the thousands are likely and largely a bygone era. So in order to create these new jobs for ourselves and for our future generations, it's clear that innovation is going to be a, clear, a critical path. 
And then lastly, we've always debated in this country of whether we have the culture to be able to be successful in this innovation and entrepreneurship-driven world. And today, clearly, this panel is going to prove any of those naysayers wrong with what they've done in their own careers. So on that note, I'm proud to be able to introduce this panel and to start with uh, Alan Lau, who I've introduced. He is the CEO and co-founder of an app that helps people discover and share stories about what they love. And his latest venture is called Wattpad. Alan was telling me earlier that they now are proud to say that they have 45 million users per month and over 15 million chapters are uploaded onto his site every, uh, every month. Next, uh, Tony Lacavera, who's the chairman of the award-winning Globalive Capital and Globalive Communications. He is also the founder and past chairman and CEO of Wind Mobile, and also somebody whom has been recognized in this country as one of the top 40 under 40, and also one of the most influential Torontonians, obviously for not only his work in business, but his contributions socially. And he is considered a champion of the next generation of tech companies. And also, I'm proud to introduce Steve Woods, who's the co-founder and chief technology officer at Nudge Software. Nudge applies its expertise to help companies maintain and grow business networks. And earlier, Steve was telling me that he has found a way to try, and we'll hear a little bit more about that, to bridge the gaps between some of those very well-known global technology networking and business networking companies to show how Canada can be a leader in even creating greater value uh, for our own businesses and those internationally. Prior to Nudge, Mr. Woods co-founded and was also Chief Technology Officer of Eloqua, which specialized in marketing automation. And of course, helping us navigate the conversation this afternoon is Amber Mack. And besides being president of her own digital agency, Connect, she's also the author of the best-selling book, Power Friendly. And she's a regular business host uh, and tech expert for a range of media outlets, including CBS, CNN, and Sirius Radio. So please join me in offering a very warm welcome to our panelists, and the Canadian Club podium is now yours. Thank you very much. All right. Well, welcome, everyone. Thank you for coming. Did everyone enjoy their lunch? Good, good, good. Um, okay, just a, a couple of housekeeping items before we get into our conversation. Uh, you all have these cards on your table, so if you want to ask questions, we will have time for Q&A, so please uh, write down your questions and someone will come around and collect them. We encourage you to do so. Um, also, if you want to join the conversation on Twitter, that's happening as well. So we have a very short time frame for this uh, conversation. I wish we had longer, uh, but nonetheless, you guys are all very busy people. And I think really just to start out, uh, you know, we were speaking at the table, I had mentioned that... In 1999, I moved out to San Francisco because the dot-com boom was happening. Things were exploding uh, during that time at technology startups. And there was that feeling that you had to go to the Bay Area. You had to leave Canada in order to be successful in the technology space. And all of you have proved over the years that that's not necessarily true. Um, Alan, if we can start with you, because you've built quite a, a large business here. And what's interesting is that you have users all over the world. In fact, a large percentage outside of Canada mm -hmm. and the U.S. So why do you think, what has made it possible that you've been able to do this over the years? Yeah, I, th I think Toronto has um, a lot of talented uh, people. Our cost base is lower than many places. Uh, but those uh, 
advantages uh, other places have as well, but I would highlight two things that uh, Toronto is very unique as our unfair advantages. Number one, uh, diversity. 51% uh, of the population in Toronto today, they were born outside of Canada. So if we want to build uh, a global business, I can't find a better place to do it. And uh, the um, other thing that, that we have is, uh, as we all know, this is a great place to live. Uh, consistently, we rank number one, number two, or number three among uh, all the cities in the world. And guess what? Happy people, productivity is actually higher. And uh, the, the turnover is lower. And uh, that helped us to, to build the, the team, build the, the business much more easily here. Uh, you know, it's interesting. By the way, I'm going to jump around to you guys. I'm not going to go down the road because I want you all to stay alert. Uh, so be ready because I could come to you at any time. And uh, Tony, I'm going to jump to you because I think we've seen this in the startup space in Toronto. Even though we say this, we say it's a great place to be, uh, you've met many founders and they're just kind of chomping at the bit to get out to the Bay Area, to get out there, to get money. They feel like they have to leave. Uh, so, you know, what's happening there? Well, I think, you know, Amber, my message is that there's an opportunity for CEOs, founders, CEOs to go out there and raise capital, but just don't get pulled into having to have your headquarters and build your company there. There's a great opportunity to get capital there, but build your company in Canada. We've got all of the advantages that Alan was describing in terms of what we've got in terms mm -hmm. of lifestyle and quality of life and costs yeah. as well. Uh, and so that's, that's been my message to young entrepreneurs. Definitely take advantage of the capital if it's there in the Valley, but think about building your company and do build your company in, the, in, in somewhere in Canada. And I, I think, you know, uh, Steve, your company right now, it's all about networking and building up that network. Maybe you could talk a little bit about that company in the context of being able to build your network from perhaps a Toronto base. Sure, yeah. I, I think, you know, I'm, I'm lucky in the sense in, in having two data points. One was 15 years ago, and, and the other is in the here and now in terms of building a base in, in Toronto. And you have to look at everything through the lens of current reality. If, if you go with the Canadian, somewhat apologetic brand around building a technology <laughs> space, it, it kind of harkens back to 15 years ago when it was a desert. It really was. There was no funding. There were no companies. There was nothing here. If you look at the here and now, that network of funders, of entrepreneurs, of, of first-time founders, of support infrastructure and, and incubators and teams, the here and now version of that is dramatic. It's on par with anything in the world. And if you're building a company now, you have to look at now in terms of where is a good place to, to start. Uh, now, Tony, in terms of some of the areas that you're looking at, because what I've read recently is, you know, Canada is a leader when it comes to things like wearables. Canada is a leader in other verticals when it comes to technology. Where do you see these hotspots, just for people in the room who are interested in those up-and-coming companies and really those verticals within technology? I'm, like, hugely excited about the quantum computer. Like, hugely. <laughs> I hope anyone heard of the quantum computer. This is, like, a Canadian company that's going to... I think, change the world. Uh, it, it's really all about, instead of processing with transistors, you're processing with quantum bits or qubits. And Google just demonstrated that this computer can be up to 100 million times faster than the fastest Intel core. This is a Canadian company founded, built in Vancouver, continues to be built in Vancouver. And I, can't, I think Canada's, Amber, to answer your question, 10 years ahead mm -hmm. in quantum computing. I don't know if you guys would agree with me, but I think we're way ahead, and we have to now invest heavily and maintain that lead because we can change the computing industry from are, this country. Are there other areas like virtual reality? Are there other places you see that we're really taking that lead? 
Yeah, I mean, I think for sure we're, we're in a leader in a number of, of areas. Mm -hmm. I would actually, uh, I don't know about virtual reality, but I'm, I think that Canada's got a really unique position in augmented reality right now. And I was actually my most recent startup in augmented reality. I really think we've developed a lot of technologies that will actually have a useful a useful uh, use case, mm -hmm. uh, productivity use case with augmented reality. So I, th I would say augmented reality would be something I think we're a leader in. Of course, the companies that, um, that Steve and Alan are involved in are building wide ranges of, of software. So we, I mean, you'd, you'd, I don't rather than pointing to one area mm -hmm. we're leaders, I think it's like useful to talk about what the strengths are that we have and how they can apply to a range of companies. I don't think we need to necessarily be number one, mm -hmm. and, although quantum computer, we need to be number one. <laughs> <laughs> that's fair, that's fair. Um, I don't want to put you on the spot, but can you uh, explain the difference between augmented reality and virtual reality, just for people in the room who perhaps are not as tech savvy? Oh yeah, sure. Um, uh, so yeah, virtual reality, for everyone knows virtual reality, like you have the, you're totally immersed and you can't actually see outside, so you can walk, you can't see anywhere, so you can walk into walls and stuff. Mm -hmm. um, augmented reality is much more about holding up your device and using the camera and your device to get some context of what you're looking at, what your device is looking at. So uh, it's got a lot more like ready-made uh, applications. Obviously, you can think about it in a tourist application. You can walk around a city and see, you know, hold up your phone or hold up your tablet and see the history of buildings, see the history of the city, and so on. So yeah, that's that's augmented reality. Uh, uh, Alan, there's one thing I read that uh, you said in a Toronto Star article where you said that the one thing that's missing in Toronto is that we have not created any companies like Facebook or Google or even Twitter. So even though we are making great progress, we still don't have that, that massive internet company here that can compete at that scale. Is that ever possible? Yeah, I, I believe absolutely is possible. But it's going to take multi years, if not that case, to do that. It, it took Silicon Valley 50 years, 60 years to get to where they are. And uh, like Steve said, 10 years ago, it was a desert here, mm -hmm. right? So we, can, we have to be realistic. We may not have the next Facebook here next year, probably not the year after. But I absolutely believe we can build the next Google 10 years from now. Uh, perhaps we are looking at one. <laughs> <laughs> no pressure. He said it here, just so you guys know. He said it here first. We're making news. Um, all right, Steve, you know, from your perspective, there are, of course, challenges. You know, we all get excited about the potential of building something here. But there are challenges, and perhaps there are negatives. What are some of those things that people need to be able to overcome um, in terms of that, you know, it's a great place to be, but, you know, there, there could be issues that you've learned along the way? Sure. I, I think... You know, in focusing on that question, people tend to focus on the the founder and the newly founded company, and don't focus as much as they should on the reality that that company is being dropped into. Because anything that you're building today, by definition, you're disrupting an existing way of doing it. It might not be obvious. You know, what did Facebook disrupt? Well, there was a lot of sort of social relationships that they changed. You're disrupting some current reality, and for a company to be successful in doing that disruptive change, the company itself needs that, that seed to be watered, and we focus on that a lot, but the world around it needs to accept that disruption and not block it via the lens of incumbents in terms of you know, subtle or explicit societal or regulatory pressures. And I think that's an area where Canada has an opportunity to truly lead in being more open to allowing some of those seeds of innovation to grow into the existing fabric of, of our reality. And right now, that's where Silicon Valley especially is doing a, a phenomenally good job of saying, it's a weird new idea. Mm -hmm. Sure, we'll give it a shot. It might turn into something, and it might not. 
I think, I think there's a danger of being too hesitant there to say, mm -hmm. we'll wait until someone else has proved it out. That, I mean, that's it. I think there's like the, the fear of failure here, right? People just, yeah. failure is part of the process, and Silicon Valley embraces failure like as part of the process. We need to do that as Canadians. I mean, uh, Canadian, Canadian, the Canadian venture capital community needs to embrace failure more, and entrepreneurs here need to, right, uh, need to understand that it's okay. You're going to, and frankly, I love investing in an entrepreneur that's already failed. Uh, because you know that that person has learned a lot, and when you start a business, 80, 90 percent chance it's going to fail. So, if you you know the reality is we have to change our psychology towards failure. Failure can't be perceived as a bad thing, and here in Canada, failing or going bankrupt, those are see, seen as kind of bad things culturally. We have to reverse that. Uh, you have a new venture capital fund, and you're going out looking at many different companies. What are you looking for? You know, you're saying it's okay if they fail, but what are those other things that you're looking for? Well, I mean, I think it's, for me, it's, uh, I love investing in people. So, I mean, I, the whole priority for us is to meet great people that, um, you know, have the right approach to starting business, like the right attitude towards, you know, being, being humble, like I don't know what I don't know, uh, and working hard, discipline, those age-old adages of discipline, perseverance, like good old-fashioned hard work. I mean, that's what... That's what, what I'm about. I'm, I'm not as smart as these guys. So, <laughs> you know, wind is pretty not technologically, I mean, it sounds like a tech company, but it's not really a tech, technology company. So uh, for me, it's about the, the team and the people much more than my, you know, brilliant ideas or the brilliant ideas of my team. You know, it's interesting yeah. because uh, when we first met, I, I told people that I knew you and I had a number of people like, oh my gosh, I want to pitch him an idea, I want to pitch him an idea. But then they have this sort of Canadian way where they just, that's all they say. Yeah. They don't then ask for your phone number, your email. Right. Um, and uh, I sort of wonder, you know, that was a great opportunity that you just wasted. Uh, but uh, uh, nonetheless, I'm just curious, you know, uh, Alan, I'd ask you this question. Do you think, you know, you've lived here for many years, mm -hmm. you went to school here. Yeah. Do you think there's also something about our, our personality as Canadians? that kind of keeps us back a little bit? Yeah, in, in, in a way, yes. Uh, uh, in my company, I, in one of the old hands meeting, I told my 110 employees, well, some guys and girls, sometimes you have to be a little bit more assertive. Don't be too Canadian. And I, <laughs> it, it, it's, it, it's true, you know. Um, we, we are competing with Americans, uh, Europeans, Asians, you know, some of them are very, very aggressive, right? And the most aggressive people, guess what? Have a higher chance to win. So we, we have to be a little bit uh, more, you know, aggressive in, in our attitude. You know, just because we have those young ladies in the room, uh, girls who crack the code, and uh, Steve, when we were gathering before we had lunch, I, I noticed kind of a sparkle in your eye, you're just learning about what they're doing here. I mean, do you see, you know, we're talking about what you guys are doing today, but do you see the future as far as young people like them as being able to really take Canada to that place where we are a leader? Absolutely. Yeah, I, I think that's a phenomenal initiative. Um, I, I think there's a great opportunity for Canada to think about how we train the next generation, not in, not in sort of the rote learning of typical school, but how do you think about a reality and say, sure, we're doing this this way today, doesn't make sense, I'm thinking about a way to change it, and I know that I have the support behind me to build that new reality. Maybe it works, maybe it fails, but at least we're training people to challenge preconceived notions and put their best effort into creating that new reality. And, and some of those will succeed, and some of them will succeed wildly. I, I, think, I think we have an opportunity to change the education system to truly bring out, you know, as Alan says, the best of that diversity mm -hmm. and, and bring people into the creative system that, that hadn't historically thought that they had a part in it. And Tony, how do we support that? 
How do we support Just the, 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 the yeah. younger generation as far as being I, able to empower them? Well, I mean, I think what Steve was talking about, I think that the, uh, the incubator and accelerator environment, the startup ecosystem in Toronto now is actually, I think, I, I agree, it's on par with anything that I've seen in the world. In fact, I think it, it is world leading in some, in some areas. Uh, so I think that's one way that we can really be uh, really continuing to build on, on that ecosystem and giving young entrepreneurs the opportunity to really take a real shot at something that is their dream. And we give them the platform now to go after the dream. When, when we all started our, our careers, there was just no such mm -hmm. environment here. Mm -hmm. And so you were really... Uh, you really didn't have the same uh, support, you know, system around you. That doesn't mean that you have to, like, obviously then do something useful and, and with it. <laughs> uh, so <laughs> there's still going to be just as many failures, I think. But at least um, I think if we continue to invest in that ecosystem, I think it's the smartest thing that we can do uh, as Canadians. Uh, I just want to switch focus a little bit, um, and then we will have some time for some questions. But uh, even though we're talking about Canada as a whole today, as far as the possibilities and where we're, we're positioned, I think it'd be interesting just to talk about some of your personal stories. And, and what I thought when I just read about all of you, and I've met many of you over the years, is that uh, you're, you are serial entrepreneurs in, in some ways, but some of you really spent a lot of time um, at uh, specific businesses over, you know, I don't know how long you worked on Wattpad, but it's a significant Ten amount. Years. Ten years, yeah. right? Um, and I'm curious for you you, uh, as far as some of the stories that you have, what was the, the one point where you thought, hey, I had an opportunity to go and leave Toronto, and you thought, you know what, I have the confidence that I can do this here? Yeah, well, for, for me, I started three companies. Uh, the first one, also venture back. Uh, we raised $30 million, um, and uh, uh, when we raised money from Silicon Valley, one of the conditions was, uh, well, you guys have to move the headquarters to, to the Valley, and, and we did. And uh, uh, it was a disaster, because it's just so hard to manage two offices with different cultures, three time zones away, you know, all sorts of problems. So uh, at the end, the company failed. Um, so when I started Wattpad after this, um, we, I, I learned the lesson. There's a huge advantage to build the team, at least the founding team, uh, in the first few years in a single location, because a lot of decisions are being made. Guess what? At the, at the water cooler, it's not, it's not going to be over Skype or over telephone. So, um, uh, as Tony uh, uh, said, you know, we have the ecosystem here, unlike. 15 years ago, we have accelerators, we have angel investors, we have uh, zero entrepreneurs, recycling capital and knowledge, we have everything. We, have, we can do it here. So that's one of the reasons why uh, I, I built the, the company here. And of course, I live here. That, Makes a difference too. <laughs> um, I, I read a stat recently that said by uh, 2020, at least in the U.S., that 50% of the workforce were going to be made up of freelancers, and I expect we'll see similar things in Canada. It's not about training this next generation to go out and get a job anymore. And I'm just curious, Steve, from your point of view, what has been the biggest lesson that you've learned about being here and about building a company? Um, just you know, something you could pass on to uh, people who are interested in that. Yeah, I, I think. Um you know, I have a lot of conversations and people say building a company sounds like a risky endeavor. Um, I actually don't think it is compared to going down the path that you described in terms of looking for a standard job. We're, we're going into a future where numerically the vast majority of those standard jobs are under some form of imminent threat. Mm -hmm. So if you want a high-risk path, 
train for an occupation that has existed for 20 years. Because that occupation has a set of tasks that you do, that set of tasks is definable and learnable, and we've got computers that can do that now. Yeah. It, that, that is a very high risk path versus saying, I'm going to train myself for a set of skills of making an observation and running with it to create a new reality around it. It's an unstructured reality, but I don't think it's a higher risk reality than training for a job that has a very good chance of not existing. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Yeah. Uh, you know, Tony, when I look at what you've built with wind and read a little bit about your story, I mean, for all intents and purposes, wind should have failed, <laughs> right? Yeah. We were on our deathbed about five times. <laughs> it should not have succeeded. Uh, so yeah. uh, I just got to, I have to go back to this idea of, of failure and just, you know, being able to get back up and continue yeah. that fight because I would say that's not necessarily a Canadian trait. And I'm curious, you know, what, what inspired you to keep getting back up and keep fighting so that your startup uh, was able to be successful? Well, well, I was all in, so <laughs> I was pretty much SOL if I didn't make it work. I guess, truthfully, I would say um, in the wind experience, there were obviously many ups and downs. And in the low points, the challenge for me wasn't actually believing that, even though like the marketplace and, of course, the incumbents telling the marketplace, telling Bay Street, there's no chance that another carrier could exist. Mm -hmm. um, obviously, the challenge for me wasn't really that external, because I always know they knew they were saying that, because obviously they're protecting their oligopoly. Uh, so it wasn't hard for me to ever say, yeah, the more you say that, the more I know there's a great opportunity. Uh, but internally, it was a challenge. And that's, I think that also speaks to the culture we have here in, Canadians, in Canada. So we went from zero to like 1,200 employees in wind in the span of like 18 months. It was an extremely, for Canada, an extremely fast build. Well, for anywhere in the world, a very fast build. And building the culture was actually the challenge, Amber, because when things that looked like they weren't going to, when it looks like, when it looked like it wasn't going to make it, mm -hmm. it was the hardest thing to say to people, you know, don't, you know, apply for a job back at Rogers. Don't, because <laughs> people will come to me like, okay, are we really done now? Because the front page of the Globe says we're done. <laughs> so... Uh, yeah, that was definitely an adventure in that, in that sense. <laughs> <laughs> I love how you can laugh through all of it. <laughs> That's also very Canadian. Uh, <laughs> we have a good sense of humor. <laughs> so, uh, you know, Steve, you're, you're kind of just starting this all again. I know Nudge has been around for uh, a bit, but, you know, you're sort of immersing yourself into this startup world again. You've already uh, sold a very successful company. Uh, what are some of the challenges today that are different, and what are you excited about with your new company? You know, I think we're, we're heading into a time for a lot of, a lot of companies where you're, you're going from tech being interesting and novel. Okay, I, I have this original thing that I did, and, and now instead of doing a paper form, I'm doing a form on a website. But I, I kind of get that. That makes sense to me. To a world in which what you're creating behind the scenes is not understandable by a general person. Quantum computing, gene splicing, artificial intelligence, you can't look at that and say, I, I, I got a metaphor for that, it makes sense, I, I, I see it. So you're, you're seeing this bifurcation between what is going on in the innovation space mm -hmm. and the innate gut reaction of most of humanity when they see it and say, I don't understand it, it's really weird, I'm a little fearful of it. I mean, we saw it in the, the anti-vax movement. We see it in you know, the anti-GMO movement. We, we're going to see it with AI. We're going to see it with gene splicing. We, we're going to see it with autonomous cars, where you have a public that is not understanding, 
he's a little queasy and is fearful, and you'll get massive backlashes. And I think that's sort of the defining question for our time as entrepreneurs is, is how, do you, how do you handle that reality where what you're creating is not understandable by, by the common uh, non-schooled non in the Or acceptable. Folks. Or acceptable. No. It's interesting though because what you are creating right now is the foundation is, is really human networking, right? You know, you're you're trying to make that better for people. So, do you see that as a core piece of you know the future of business in this country? I, I think if you're going to be a tech entrepreneur and you're going to create something in 2016 that never existed before, you have to be using the latest tools and techniques. So we use a lot of machine learning and artificial intelligence behind the scenes to do stuff. I, I think if you're going to create something today and not take advantage of that, the question you have to ask yourself very hard is, why was this project not created a decade ago? Mm -hmm. You, you want to be on that cutting edge, or you've really got to question whether there's a business there. Um, so, so yeah, I would say any business that is going to be successful today is taking advantage of at least one underlying piece of technology that was difficult or impossible five years ago. Uh, just uh, one more question for Alan, and then we're going to get into some of the questions from the audience, because we, we have quite a few. Good job, guys. Um, you know, Alan, uh, I, I've been fascinated with your uh, your uh, venture for a long time, since uh, I met you many years ago, I don't know when, maybe on Tech TV or something like that. And um, it's it's amazing to me to see you, you know, stick with Wattpad and kind of grow the company. And, and I'm just curious, is there do you see a point where you may say, hey, you know, I want to get involved in, in other ventures? Are you doing that now? No, no. I'm... I'm in my mid-40s now, uh, and I have been telling everyone this is my last company, but I may <laughs> continue to do this for the next 20 years. And I, I think that's the attitude that uh, we should uh, embrace more. You know, we are not building a company for two years and then flip it. I, I think there are too many people flipping the company, uh, which, you know, Congratulations, fantastic success in selling the company for $10, $20 million. But I think we are missing the Facebook. We are missing the Google. And we need someone in this country to build a $100 billion company. Mm -hmm. If we don't do that, guess what? Other countries would do that. And we'll be leapfrogged. Mm -hmm. So maybe you can do that. Yeah. No pressure. I'm trying. Yeah. <laughs> I'm trying. Yeah. Um, okay, so let's go to some questions. Uh, the first one I think is great for Tony. Uh, Toronto may be a good place to start a business, but is Toronto a good place to scale a business? Uh, yeah, look, I think that it is a great place to scale a business. As I, I think I said a few minutes ago, we, we actually hired uh, 1,200 people across Canada. 450 of them were in the Toronto area, and that happened in the span of you know, 18 months. Uh, so, uh, and I'm not just talking about technology people, like great people in marketing, great people in sales, great people in operations, great people in care, you know, great leaders uh, in all walks of life. Uh, they're here, Amber, and uh, they're available. Excellent. Uh, Steve, uh, for you, this is from uh, Girls Crack the Code. And uh, they ask, uh, have you found it difficult recruiting women to tech roles? Ah. Great question. Um, yeah, fr frankly, it's very hard. Um, I, I think we do this, and I know a lot of other technology entrepreneurs do this. Every time that you have a technology role, you bias as much as you can to 
higher non-represented groups, whether, whether that's based on gender, sexual orientation, ethnicity. Um, and it becomes a very interesting challenge because you, you find that the population that you're recruiting from is, is biased towards what you would expect from what you see sort of represented in those seats. So it, it very much has a supply side challenge and on any role that we have, if we can find a candidate that is in any of those underrepresented groups, we will, we want to pick highly qualified folks. But if we can find someone that represents that and is highly qualified, absolutely we'll bias that way as much as we can. So it, it very much becomes a, a supply side um, challenge. Girls, remember that. Email yes. Steve when you graduate. Please do. <laughs> <laughs> That's my advice coming from a woman in tech. Um, another question from uh, Girls Crack the Code, um, and Alan, I'll throw this one at you. How often are young girls given the opportunity to crack code and experience tech in Canada? And, and, and you know, maybe I'll add on to that question. Is there anything that we can do to kind of continue to encourage that? Yeah, there, there are well, organizations like Girls Crack Code to, to encourage more uh, uh, Female uh, to uh, to enter this industry, but uh, I would also say um, companies have to do their parts to make sure that the screening process is un unbiased as possible. Uh, and perhaps I would even say actively go out and recruit underrepresented groups like female, visible minorities um, to to uh, to enter the company. Um, I, I think it's. Uh, it's an issue in general, uh, whether it's in Canada or not. Uh, diversity is a big issue in, in tech. Uh, but I also want to say, like in my company, 47 out of 110 people are female. So wow. as close to half as possible. But in engineering, it's uh, underrepresented. So we, we are working very hard to, to make sure our environment is very welcoming to, to female as well. Great. Um, we have so many questions, and I think this would be kind of fun. We only have five minutes left if we answered really fast, like rapid fire, just because, <laughs> why not? Right. What do you guys think? You think we, I think we good. should try to get through all of them. Go for it. Okay, so uh, everybody, have your coffee. Let's go. Um, okay, so Tony, um, I'll ask you this quickly. Are there key differences in the VC rules between Canada and the U.S. that put us at a disadvantage? Go. Uh, yeah, we don't move fast enough. <laughs> All right. Okay. Um, Alan, uh, what is the one way that you are doubling employee size uh, and growing revenue? What, what is one way at double employee size? What is, uh, what's one of the ways that you're doubling employee size and also growing revenue at the same time? Uh, uh, well, sleep less. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. Rapid Fire gives us some interesting answers. That's all this is a great question for Steve. Uh, and you can be a little bit longer in your answers. Um, but uh, what role did financing debt and equity uh, uh, play in the growth of your firms? It's the lifeblood. You can't, you can't exist without capital. You make a lot of decisions on, on how you're going to approach it. Excellent. Um, uh, this is a good one for Tony. Uh, you talked about Canadians trying to be uh, less Canadian. Maybe that was me. Uh, in other words, more aggressive to win. What Canadian traits or Canadian environments can be built on for success? Uh, so we are incredibly accepting of everyone from every different walk of life, every size and shape of person you can imagine. And I think that's a real incredible strength of Canadians in general. And I, that's broadly the case in all the Canadians that I know. Um, uh, Alan, you have two young girls, so perhaps mm -hmm. this is a great question for you. They're 10 and 13. Uh, must be fun. Um, how do you get kids interested in coding? At what age should you introduce it? Uh, as early as possible. Uh, they, they can learn at 
like five. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, in fact, in Estonia, they start teaching coding in grade one, and they've been doing yeah. that for a number of years. So um, I think you're exactly right. Uh, okay, so Steve, uh, based on your experience, what are the greatest barriers or challenges to growth and scaling in Canada? This is similar to what I asked Tony, but perhaps you have a different answer. Wanting to swing for the fences. I, I don't think there are structural challenges here. I, I think you just need to want to build a worldwide huge success business and go after it. All right, um, Tony, this one is good for you. It's a little right. controversial, so. Right. Uh, right. Uh, Toronto right. is rejecting Uber. Is this uh, a good reality for disruptive companies? Uh, look, I love Uber, so <laughs> <laughs> I'm just not, a, I'm not the right person to ask that question. I think Uber is amazing, and I think that Toronto and every other city, look, the taxi industry, can I, ask, can I make this like five seconds longer? Yes, of course. <laughs> the taxi industry had every opportunity to see Uber coming and advance itself in a way that Uber would never have any chance of existing. So it's only because we had a fragmented, poor service, high cost taxi industry that Uber has any, had ever had any chance. So you know what? That's what happens when you don't. I'm, I'm going to build on that question just to, just for a second because I'm curious. If someone comes to you and say, hey, I have a new company idea. It's the Uber of this. Do you just slam the door? Yeah, that's a tough one these days. That's a buzzword. Uber's become a buzzword. Add, yeah. I just want to add uh, Or Uberizing. <laughs> I'm Uberizing. No, you're not. <laughs> yeah. A hundred years ago, we should not protect the horses or the cars. So, <laughs> that's that what is, I'm saying. That, that is very good advice. Um, okay, so uh, Alan, we'll come back to you. Uh, where do you think the next big opportunity is as far as technology in Canada, for example, fintech, or it's somewhere else? Yeah, I, I think we are 20 years into commercialization of the internet, but so many industry has not been disrupted. And we are only seeing, we have seen the first wave, but the second wave is a tsunami. We haven't yeah, seen that yet. Yeah, agreed. Excellent. Um, and uh, Steve, we will wrap up with you. Uh, this person says, I've heard that one thing that holds Canadian tech companies back is a weak sales culture. Do you agree? And if so, what can be done about this? I do think that there are other groups that are more aggressive than Canadians. I, I think that comes down to the, the theme that we've, we've heard a few times of Canadians wanting to really swing for the fences. Sales is a key part of that, how you get your product in the hands of people. Um, I, I think we could improve there. I don't, I don't count it as a failing of Canadians. We're just not as aggressive as our southern neighbors. But we can. We can be. There's, there's we can hope be. for us. Absolutely. Excellent. Um, I think you guys did really well with the rapid fire question. Good job. Good job, guys. Um, and uh, I think that is it. We have a few more words. Do you want us to stay up here for this? Yeah, sure. Okay. All right. Thank you so much, guys. Thank you. Great. So, uh, Tony, Steve, Alan, Amber, what an incredible panel. Can we get another round of applause for everybody on the stage? My name is Bilal Khan. I'm a managing director of one of those incredible accelerators that we were talking about on the stage called 111. So we look forward to kind of talking about that a little bit later. Um, there were, this was a fascinating conversation. I think Toronto's becoming this hotbed. Canada's really kind of stepping up on the global stage as an innovation hub, as a competitive global entrepreneurial hub. Um, you know, there are two things that I heard that were really special um, on this panel that stood out to me amongst m many other pieces of advice. But you know, the one piece was this theme that we heard around perseverance. This idea that you see these incredible founders who have built and sold billion dollar companies, ones that are the next generation of billion dollar technology companies. And the one common denominator amongst them all is that they stuck it through. They, they're swinging for the fences, they're in it for the long game. And I think that's a culture that uh, we want to continue to promote in Canada. We want to continue to strengthen. So these are, these are incredible uh, examples of that. And the second piece I heard that I, I 
personally um, am fascinated with and I love uh, dearly is, is talent in, in Toronto and Canada, and specifically the diversity of talent that we have here. So not only do we have some of the best academic institutions in the world pumping out some of the best talent in quantum computing, AI, and other areas, but we also are attracting some of the most brightest people from around the world here. And there's this amazing stat out of, out of the valley, and we, we looked at the valley, valley as this magical place, um, but th this one stat blew me away. 53% um, of billion-dollar-plus technology companies out of the valley were actually founded by founders that were not born in the United States. And I think that's really telling about a culture of both acceptance and a culture of supporting um, kind of diversity across all lines. So I think those were two really important messages, and I think, uh, you know, uh, thank you for, for highlighting those. Um, so that being said, um, I'm not going to be the pundit on this anymore, and I'm going to pass this off to, uh, to Danny to take it from here. I appreciate that. Thank you so much. Thank you. Great. So now I get uh, uh, the, the, the privilege of adjourning our meeting and just sharing a final thought in terms of, of uh, our conversation. And I would like to again reiterate Bilal's words of the, message, uh, the messages and the lessons that were, that were conveyed today. It's clear that uh, these examples and the future, to, to, the future looks bright. And to, to pick a phrase that Steve picked, when we look at the future we saw, and he described it as a, as a tech desert. But it's clear under this leadership, with this example, this tech desert is going to certainly bloom in the future. And we thank you again for making time for being here this afternoon. And we'd like to thank Air Canada, our official airline sponsor, and as well today's promotional partner, Communitech. And we would like to also thank Rogers TV, who will broadcast this event in the days to come, and also MediaEvents.ca, Canada's online event space, and VVC for streamlining today's event. Thank you very much. Thank you to our panelists. Thank you to all. And have a great afternoon and a great weekend. This meeting is now adjourned. Thank you.